Hello and welcome to Movie Phone. All right, welcome back, beautiful people. This is your podcast of Forever Young. I'm Dr. Lakey. And I'm Dr. Payman Daniel Poor. And today we will be talking about the mommy makeover. Our favorite procedure (laughs) ever. I think, you know, what's important to know, we'll kind of stratify this. We'll, we'll, We'll at least talk about... Preventative measures, how to avoid it if you can. Sometimes it's not avail- not possible. Uh, we'll talk about who's a candidate and timing. We'll talk about what a mommy makeover actually entails. We'll talk about some of the pitfalls. And then we'll kind of give you some pro tips at the end and discuss why we think ours are better than the average out there. So um, let's think, get started. But I think what we should start with is something that that people really kind of always want to know, why does something happen, right? Mm-hmm. So what does pregnancy do to a woman's body that makes them need any procedure whatsoever? Why does it happen to one person and it doesn't happen to the other? What can you possibly do to prevent um, the need to come see the two of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll, we'll start out with just regular pregnancy and, and what happens, and we'll start out with the breasts and then we'll go to the body because the mommy makeover really talks about doing a procedure for the breast and the body. Mm-hmm. So we know that when you get pregnant, uh, the breasts get engorged. They get much larger. And the reason they do is because there's milk production, mm-hmm. right? Um, problem with that is sometimes they get so big that not only do they cause excess skin, but they cause stretch marks, and they make the breasts sag. Now, stretch marks, uh, which are the bane of our existence, um, you have to imagine the skin has really two main layers. There's the epidermis, which is the outer layer, and there's the dermis, which is the important part. That's the thicker internal layer. And stretch marks are actually tears in the dermis, the internal layer, but the epidermis stays intact. That's why sometimes they look translucent or purple because you see little capillaries through there. And they can look uh, pretty awful. And so um, you have to imagine that when the breasts become larger and they fall, and then getting, when you get tears in the dermis, it's like losing the reins of the horse. You just let everything go, and the skin can no longer hold that kind of weight. And it does, it, you know, creates a massive issues for many women. And, and the difficult part is, and people don't get this, and this is why we're in business and there's so many plastic surgeons, is... Our biggest problem is we live on the planet Earth and there's gravity. And if there was no gravity, then none of the stuff would matter. Gravity gets us all. (laughs) So gravity gets us all. And the larger something is, the faster it falls. So breasts, start with that. Um, most most, Most of the most common thing we see is breasts that are sagging or what we call breast ptosis. Um, and they're, they're sagging to the point where they don't like them. And on top of it, there's zero fullness, especially in what we call the upper pole, which is the upper part of the breast and the cleavage areas that every woman wants to have a little more fullness. And most people that come in here and they want to have something done, they're like, oh, you should have seen my breast when I was 20. Or you should have seen my breast before I had babies. So my advice to you to try to prevent the need, even though sometimes and most times there's nothing you can do but see us and have it fixed is, number one, wear support all the time. Supportive bra, sports bra. Tuck your breasts in, push them together, pull them up, and just try to have them sit up as high as they can at all times, Mm -hmm. even when you're sleeping. Second little piece of advice is moisturize. So whether you want to use olive oil, coconut oil, any type of baby oil that's out there on the market, I am not going to put a plug in for anything because honestly, all of it will work. Moisturize, moisturize, moisturize because the, the more moisture breast in your skin is, the less of a chance it has to crack in a sense. Mm-hmm, definitely. And then the last thing I'm going to put in, and this is a lot of people aren't going to like this and you can do what you want, but keep your breastfeeding at a minimal. So do it for a few months if you can, and then pump as much as you can and keep it. Now, some people think they should breastfeed for a year. I will tell you that most people that breastfeed for a prolonged amount of time will definitely require some sort of breast lift reduction surgery because it really, unfortunately, sucks the life out of your breasts. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Do the kids need the milk? Yes, absolutely. Give them a couple months of milk. But if you're really concerned with the aesthetic appearance of your breasts, I do believe that the longer you breastfeed, the higher the chance that you will need something done with your breast. And the, the one thing that we're missing here as well, there's another component, is the longer you breastfeed, the longer the, the actual nipple gets. And so sometimes we'll have to correct that in the future. So um, again, we're not saying anything about... Uh, you know, the longevity or length of duration of time that you want to breastfeed, listen to your physician. Um, we're just trying to tell you if you want to avoid certain pitfalls of the breast, you know, the idea would be to, to keep breastfeeding at a minimum. And, and it's just a simple thing. The concept is the more you make it get bigger and smaller, bigger and smaller, the, the faster that balloon is going to feel very deflated. So it's just a tip. It doesn't exactly what, what John just said. I'm not telling you not to breastfeed. You can breastfeed for five years if you want. But the chances are you will definitely need some sort of what we like to call nip or tuck to just tighten up things because you're going to have extra skin on your breasts. Now, moving on to the body, uh, obviously this is going to entail uh, you know, fat accumulation, as well as some changes that occur in the hips and abdomen. And so you have to imagine progesterone allows the body to relax. And so that's why sometimes even pregnant women, their hips feel unstable when they walk and things like that, just because that's what progesterone does. It expands uh, the ligamentous attachments and that allows for uh, the growth of the fetus and the baby um, and also for delivery. And so afterwards, the plummet or reduction in uh, progesterone, some uh, you know, and estrogen, um, we, you know, c- cause everything to return. the The object is for your body to recoil and return back to normal. Doesn't always happen, and so I can just give a couple tips uh, as far as um, keeping yourself in shape to the day you deliver is obviously the best. Uh, po- it will give you the best potential post pregnancy body uh, outcome because. The muscles themselves are kind of holding things into place. Once you um, allow the fascia, which is the connective tissue over the musculature, to stretch, um, there's only a certain uh, percent that will uh, recoil or return back to normal. Um, usually, if you think about it, we lose 1% collagen elastin after age you know, 20 per year. And so the older you have a pregnancy as well, uh, you know, it's harder to recoil just because you've lost that elastin. And so the idea is, listen, in a perfect world, we have our, our babies early and body recoils and returns back to normal. Not always the case. But you know, it's interesting, the old adage of if, and everyone asks us this when they have surgery, should I come into surgery with the, in the best shape possible? Well, obviously, and that's what John's just saying. So if you can have your baby and be at the same, in, in a really, in really, really good shape, then the chances of you having post-pregnancy changes that are very dramatic are not as high. Now, sometimes it does happen, and there are other factors as well. Now, depending on the amount, the number of pregnancies matter a lot, because people come and they say, my first one, everything was fine, the second one was fine too, and then the third one, just everything fell apart. It's interesting I say all this stuff, because then there are zebras out there, like Dr. Lakey's wife, who has had twins and another child, and she looks amazing. Why is that? Well, genetically, she's blessed. She's taller. She's got a longer torso. But most of all, she worked hard before Mm -hmm. and after. Yeah, she exercised up until, I'll never forget, it was the day before she was doing HIIT training with twins, the day before uh, she underwent uh, uh, delivery. And so, so don't let yourself go. You may not like to hear that, but if you keep yourself in really good shape, I do truly believe that the post-pregnancy changes will not be as dramatic. The one thing that most OBs will tell their, their, their patients is you don't have to overeat because you're pregnant. You don't have to put on a significant amount of weight. 20 to 30, 30 pounds, I guess, is, is, is plenty. Some people come in here and they say they gained 80 pounds in their pregnancy. Well, obviously, it's going to change your body. It's going to make a huge difference. Um, And I think that's one of those things that the pregnancy itself is important for you to keep yourself in shape. Now, 
Yeah, we're just, listen, we're giving you goals. The idea is anything, like he's, like Dr. Danny Poor said, beyond 15 to 25 pounds, um, you know, in excess of that tends to wreak havoc on the body. The other thing that he alluded to earlier was to keep yourself moisturized. I mean, the idea is you want to maintain healthy hydration of the skin. Um, you know, it, we look at some of these post-pregnancy changes. The idea is, you know, will you develop cellulite during pregnancy? Of course. Are you going to develop uh, what we call lipodystrophy, which is the accumulation of fat in areas that you just don't want it? Um, of course, these, uh, the reason for that is because you are uh, essentially holding on to nutrients for the baby. And but it so, depends the extent, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. And so, you know, remember, most of the time you're feeding one baby, not three. And, and if you do have multiple pregnancies, obviously you're going to gain a little bit more weight. Now, when, when people come in to see us, it's most of the time, for mommy makeover, it's both both breast and body. Now, we're going to go back to the body again. And again, one of the most common complaints is they'll turn around and they say, look at me from the side. I have a bulge. And that bulge is something called erectus diastasis. It's simple, and that's a, in, in, in layman's terms, is basically the muscles, which are the rectus muscles, normally are put together. They're together. But what happens is they separate. That fascial layer in the middle gets thin because we need to accommodate for a child. Now, again, depending on how good a shape you're in, depending on how large the baby is, depending how um, genetically you are gifted or not, all of those things play a part. And that's how we see the recoil at the end. Now, some people have multiple pregnancies and don't have much of a diastasis. And if they don't, we have a simple solution or a simple treatment that can help it. But most people come in and there's a relatively large diastasis and then it goes above the belly button and below. Now, the belly button itself also sometimes pops out so that any becomes an Audi after pregnancies. And that's sometimes called, is, is sometimes called a, an umbilical hernia where there's a tiny little opening in the fascia, which is very common in a pregnancy. Yeah, some people are just born with it and then just accentuated with pregnancy. And the idea is, can it convert from an inny to outy? Yes. Can you be born with it and it just gets bigger? Yes. So these are all things that we can touch on, uh, you know, as we go on here on ways to correct them. I think the really important thing now would be to talk about, well, when should I undergo some form of a mommy makeover? And, and, you know, and I'll let you take it from there. And we really, I mean, honestly, we like to say, depending on when you stopped breastfeeding. So if you breastfed, the, the least amount of time we'd make people wait is six months. Ideally, I'd like to wait a year. And we're assuming that you are not going to have more children because the idea is if you are planning on having more children, um, some people say, well, look, maybe I'm not having, planning on having children for five years. If that's the case then, you know, you can undergo any of these treatments, but know that pregnancy is going to do the exact same thing all over again and ruin your results. So if you can hold out, wait, and then it's fixed at the end. Very true. I would wait till all your pregnancies are done and then see what your goal is. And, and really, you know, personally, I would love patients to wait a year. Some people don't want to wait a year. So I say six months after you're, you're done breastfeeding. And the reason for that is we want to make sure we are seeing basically all of the post-pregnancy changes take into effect and we don't still have milk production. Breasts aren't bigger than they're going to be. We want to see how everything is going to fall so then we can fix it and we're not going to chase things that are going to change again later. Yeah, the milk ducts will involute and shrink and you know that process again is going to take six months or more. So that would be the minimum. So if we had to talk about um, you know timing, obviously six months, a year would be ideal. And what I think we'll maybe we'll talk about we'll, we'll kind of uh, break down what an actual mommy makeover entails. So let's say we start with breasts, and I'm sure you want to divide it from implant based versus non implant based. Sure. So so it depends what the problem is. So you can come in, and, and we have different patients with different needs and different goals. And that's really what's important. We don't want to do the same procedure for every single person because everyone is different. Remember that. That's very important. And that's why we individualize every treatment plan for every single person. So if you come in and you tell me, listen, I had a baby and my breasts are four times the size that they were. I can't stand it. 
Well, then we'll talk about a breast reduction. Simple. We do that after, after people that have babies and it's not a big deal. Breast reduction simply lifts the breast and reduces it. There's no implant. There's nothing else. And it leaves you with a very naturally appearing breast at the end. Now, some people come in and they say, my breasts are deflated. Probably the most common complaint after pregnancy. My breasts feel like they're just skin. They have no tissue. I had the best breasts. What do I do? That's where we kind of can say you have two options, three options. One option, do what's called an augmentation mastopexy. So breast augmentation, which is putting an implant in and then doing a breast lift, removing skin so we can tighten the breast envelope and make the breast look like a very youthful breast with fullness. Again, Our aesthetic is to go smaller so you have longer lasting results because the bigger you go, the faster it falls. And this is all depending on how much extra skin you have. I mean, the idea is the perfect scenario is that you really had no breasts in the beginning. They became engorged during pregnancy. Now you have small breasts again with a little bit of excess skin. You place an implant and it can look phenomenal. Um, but as the skin sags, and again, we talk back about those stretch marks and things like that. The idea is you need volume and skin reduction. And so that's where that augmentation mastopexy comes into play. And, and, and John, that's perfect because there's some people that come in here and, and they don't need a lift. They just have no volume and putting an implant in does the trick and it looks really natural. I did one a couple of weeks ago on a girl who had three kids. I put a 190 cc implant in. It's tiny. It looks like a little chicken cutlet. And she's psyched. She's so happy because she didn't want anyone to know she had anything done, but she wanted a little more fullness. And that's the beauty of what we do for a living. We're not here to completely change you, just make you have your confidence back. Now, Moving along, if you wanted to do a breast lift and don't have volume, but don't want an implant, um, and there are two options there. What we can do is called breast lift with an auto augmentation using your own breast tissue, rearranging it, giving you a little more fullness, plus or minus fat transfer. And we will talk about a lot of different uses of fat in plastic surgery, but today we're going to talk about it in the breast. Um, You know, I would say about a little bit less than 10 years ago, the Plastic Surgery Society and the FDA and everyone came together and said, injecting fat into the breast is safe. We can radiologically detect the difference between cancer and fat cells. So now we're using fat in the breast all the time for volume and it works really nicely. So people that don't want a foreign body in their breast, we can just give you a little more volume because we're doing lipo anyways for most of the time. We'll take the fat We'll harvest it, purify it, and inject it into the breast strategically to give it enough volume and then do a lift over the top. Mm-hmm. Those are the real kind of like three big types of procedures for the breast. Oh, one last thing, and, and you hit on it earlier, is nipple reduction. And sometimes the nipples get really long. Um, and it's a simple, simple procedure. It's called the top. We use the top hat technique. Um, you can literally do it under local anesthesia if that's all that you worry about, but you can make the length of your nipple smaller. You can also make the width of your areola, which is what's the, the pigment around your nipple, all of that smaller as well. Um, that always happens with a breast lift or a breast reduction as well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that you, you alluded to earlier that you said that uh, the idea is to go you know, a more conservative size because, again, we talked about the stretch marks, the loss of elastin in the skin, you know, the larger the breasts are, we know that they're going to fall faster. So the whole idea for us is we want something to look natural, but also have some longevity out of it. And so I think that's why in this particular practice, that's what we choose. And so, um, you know, we'll kind of recap at the end and why we think that, you know, our, our results are better than most. And, and um, you know, I think that plays a part. Absolutely. And so, so the, in a nutshell, that's for the breasts. If you guys any of you guys have questions, you know, always you can direct them to us. Our next podcast on next Tuesday or the following Tuesday, we'll be happy to answer any questions um, because there are a lot of questions. And, and in a consultation, we take a lot of time discussing all of these things. We also have some technology that aids us in this, in the sense that I could take you into a room, do a full 3D simulation and show you different size implants on your body. So you can actually pick your implants 
together. We can pick them together. So at the end of the day, you don't say, oh, they're too big or too small. And that has really helped over the last you know, six or seven years since we've used it um, in picking implant size for patients, explaining patient to, to, to young ladies that are having this done, what a lift looks like, where the scars are going to be, just so people understand and are educated exactly of what they're going to go through. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you'd like more information about our practice, you can check out our Instagram. It's PlasticsDocs, P-L-A-S-T-I-X-D-O-C-S on Instagram for more information. Dr. Daniel Poor and I will be back after a quick break. And now I guess we can move further on to the body. And I think uh, although breasts are extremely complex and what can be done to, uh, you know, remedy whatever problem that, that exists, but I think the body poses even more of an issue because there are really three things at play, um, or I should say four things. One, we talked about the rectus diastasis and that's the spread. There's nothing you can do outside of a surgical procedure unless it's a smaller one. And then we can touch on that. Um, there is fat accumulation, uh, there is excess skin, and then we look at the quality of the skin. And so the idea is, uh, you know, we have newer technologies that can help improve the quality of skin, but I think maybe what we can do is kind of go from a person who's got minimal rectus diastasis with minimal skin uh, elasticity loss, um, you know, minimal lipodystrophy or fat accumulation. And, and what would be your go-to? I know I, obviously we, we work together, but I think, you know, so, so it's, it's great. It's, it's, you can always give people like you always do good, better, or best. And, and you can tell people, Hey, listen, I can put you in a non-invasive machine called M-Sculpt that will build muscle and actually decrease the size of the diastasis by doing these treatments. What it does is it uses electromagnetic energy to build muscle, which again, if you build some muscle, that gap in between your your muscles or the, or the diastasis will become smaller. So if it's small enough and something non-invasive can work, that's one option. It's great technology by BTL, uh, the M-Sculpt. It's high FEM technology, high-intensity focused electromagnetic energy. And ultimately, they're supra-maximal contractions. That means you wouldn't even be able at your best day to contract as hard as this machine will. And it's also 20,000 times in 30 minutes. And so it builds 25% muscle, burns 30% fat, and also has a radio frequency component that tightens the skin. So this sounds too good to be true, but this is technology that works. And it's something that we tell patients that have had a baby, six weeks after you've had the baby, come do it. Mm -hmm. There is no harm in doing this procedure. The only thing it can do is it can help you get back to your pre-pregnancy body. Mm-hmm. Now, that's for those people that are that are lucky enough where they don't have extra skin, they don't have a big diastasis, and they don't have a lot of fat accumulation in other areas. And the, the one other important stat from that was that there's an 11% re, in, reduction in the rectus diastasis. So if you have a smaller one, this is an option that you can use you know, a step prior to looking into any surgical procedure. So let's say, let's say now you've got the medium-sized individual, slightly larger rectus diastasis, um, a little more fat to po- pockets, you know, that are on the outer thighs or saddlebag area, things like that. Um, and again, you talk about good, better, and best. You know, good would be, again, using non-invasives. Now, cool sculpting, great non-invasive way to reduce fat. If somebody doesn't want to have surgery, you can't make them have surgery. If somebody is scared of going under the knife, even though we can talk to them and tell them it's very safe and people do it all the time, we're not here to make anyone do anything and we have alternative approaches to making people feel and look better. Now, cool sculpting is great because one treatment can give you about 30% reduction of fat in the treated area. So if you have distinct pockets of fat, like you said, in the saddlebags, you could treat it with cool sculpting and it'll do a really nice job of bringing that down. You may need two treatments, but it's got no downtime. It's done in an office and you walk right out. Amazing. Really, really great thing. We've had it since the inception. Now we have the brand new cool sculpting machines. We have four different paddles. You can treat four areas at the same time. And this is a really easy way for a mommy that said, oh my God, I just had a baby six months ago or a year ago. I can't go under the knife. 
Okay, so do this to make yourself better. Combine it with the M sculpt, and you'll get two for one special, and mm-hmm. you'll get a really decent result. Definitely. But if you want the best, then tummy tuck with liposuction. And we're going to get into the tummy tuck procedure and kind of talk to you and dispel all of the fear that's out there. Because a lot of people that come in here say, oh my God, my friend had a tummy tuck and had to use a walker for weeks. Oh my God, my friend had a tummy tuck and was in the hospital for weeks. Oh my God. I mean, some of the stories I hear, there was a lady that came in from London and we revised her tummy tuck. She told me that they kept her in a hospital for two weeks. Our tummy tucks walk out of here. Mm-hmm. They come see us the following week. We don't use drains. We do things a little differently. We're going to go down how we do it differently. And, and this, I think, is where it starts getting complex because the idea um, behind tailoring a procedure, a particular set of procedures for an individual, varies so widely based off of the post-pregnancy changes. So there even is what I would say good, better, and best within the surgical realm. So let's say, let's say you just have a little bit of a pooch that's below the belly button. And the idea is, you know, could we perform a mini tummy tuck and maybe kind of tie up that little rectus diastasis that's below the belly button? That's something that can be done. Well, sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes the rectus diastasis goes all the way up to, you know, between the ribs. That's called the xiphoid process all the way up to the chest. So good, better, best. Good, probably liposuction to kind of contour the area. Better would be a mixture of radiofrequency technology to help tighten some of the skin or maybe do a mini tummy tuck along with doing that liposuction. Best is when we do full 360 liposuction uh, and a a full traditional abdominoplasty. Uh, and, And obviously there are some variations from there, but I think that's something that we look at, you know, and basically tailor it based off of uh, so many different factors. And, and it's exactly what you said. There's two questions that I know people ask. They ask every time in every consultation. Mm-hmm. One of them is liposuction. Oh my God. Um, so you're going to take fat out of my flanks. Well, what happens if I gain weight? And, and what do you tell people that ask that? Because it's every day. Sure. Listen, you're born with billions of fat cells. They either grow or they shrink. And so the idea is if we are permanently removing millions of fat cells, you still have some left. Um, so if you vary in weight, five, 10 pounds here, there, you know, you, the fat will just evenly redistribute. You gain 50 pounds, whole different ballgame. Now, disproportionately, you may have a slightly uh, improved contour in the areas that you've had previous liposuction. Um, and so... Again, you haven't removed all of the fat cells, so you're still going to have relative even fat distribution, but you start gaining massive amounts of weight, and and that's where you may see the contour regularities. And it's interesting, when people ask you that, you turn around and you say, most of the people you do liposuction on, they don't gain weight. They make it a point that it is, they just went through a procedure, and they're going to keep themselves in the best shape possible. Kind of kickstarts their whole- Exactly. And it's about that holistic kind of wellness approach to this. And if they have a problem with it, we'll send them to a nutritionist. If they have a problem with it, we'll send them to to an area where they can get, you know- you know, one-on-one training sessions. And that's something that, you know, you need to continually maintain. Plastic surgery of the body is not just magic. You do it and you have to continually maintain because the better you maintain, the better the results will look. Now, the other question that everyone asks is, I'm a little scared about my scar and what happens to the belly button during a tummy tuck procedure? Because those two things are are very common questions and, and let's kind of like, educate everyone out there so they understand? Well, first of all, we have to define abdominoplasty because really what we're doing through an incision that's underneath the underwear line that essentially goes from hip to hip, what we're doing is we are removing excess skin. You are uh, tying up or or almost, uh, you're tying up that rectus diastasis like an internal corset. And then you're bringing your own belly button out through a new hole. And so the idea is, and, and this can be one of the biggest stigma of an abdominoplasty if not performed correctly, uh, because if it's too large, it looks like there's a piece of gum stuck on there. Um, and if it's too small, it looks very irregular. And, it, and there's a specific shape to the most aesthetic belly button. And so what we call it has superior hooding uh, with a slight dimple or, you know, surrounding the area. Um, and that makes everything look youthful. 
And sometimes this becomes very difficult, especially if someone has an umbilical hernia, because we really, you've lost, you have to imagine the belly button itself is really just a scar from birth. And that's from the umbilical cord. And then it just involutes and forms a scar, but it's kind of tethered down to the connective tissue. And that's what gives you that any. If you don't have that or don't recreate that, it doesn't look like a belly button anymore. And so if you are looking for surgery, that's the dead giveaway. Start looking at before and afters of a particular surgeon. Look at the belly button. Exactly. The scar itself, listen, you're going to heal how you're going to heal. And we can, uh, we can seal that incision and sew it up as beautifully as possible and meticulous as possible. But sometimes people just heal poorly. And so the idea is if, as, you know, there are things that can be done to improve that. And we can touch on that in a little bit. Um, but the whole idea is that is hidden underneath the underwear line. You want to, while you're wearing a bathing suit or something like that, you want everything to look as natural as possible. Um, you know, scars, obviously a big concern of everyone's and rightfully so, because sometimes scars can look pretty horrible. There's always something that can be done to help improve the quality of a scar. You know, and you, you hit it perfectly. So what, it sounds like a simple procedure. Cut out some skin, tie up a corset, and take out the belly button, right? Anyone can do it. There's all these plastic surgeons. Why and what really sets us apart is a few things. Number one, in my opinion, the belly buttons that we put in are the best. And people say that and they think they look fantastic and they look unassuming. There's not a scar around the belly button. The belly button pulls in. That's the first thing. Because again, you can't cover up the belly button, but you can cover up the scar. Number two, it's not just a flat belly. It's got hills and valleys. You can see definition. There is, what we like to do is contour the belly with some liposuction in certain areas strategically so when you finish this operation, it's not just one flat belly, but you can see external obliques. You can see these are musculature underneath so you can really see them. And that happened to us in the beginning. When we were performing our tummy tucks, we thought, oh man, we're the best. And then we'd come back. They were flat as a board, all right, but it looked like it was a flat board with a hole stuck in the middle. And now, you know, obviously that happened early in practice and you, you continually try to improve and strive for better. And so now- we carve out those obliques. We carve out that midline depression, which is right between the rectus muscles and that little dimple that's surrounding the belly button. And so just adding that alone along with that hourglass shape uh, tends to lead to a superior result. And everyone gets back and flank liposuction because no matter how small you are, with the exception of a small percentage, there is always a little extra fat after pregnancy. And sometimes it's very hard to get rid of it. And the hardest place to get rid of that fat is either the lateral thighs, the flanks, and the back. Those three areas are always very difficult. So you're having this procedure. And in the beginning, we didn't do this. So this is just perfecting our own trade. We had patients that came in, looked amazing, and their back was still full. We're like, oof. So now everyone gets back and flank lipo. And the other thing we've started to do over the last couple of years, again, that sets us apart is we're using technology. Six weeks after surgery, everyone gets M-sculpt because we want to start building muscle and showing what's happening underneath that, the skin envelope that we have now fixed. Um, you know, I think that if you are looking for a tummy tuck procedure um, for everyone that's listening in, do exactly what Dr. Lakey said. Look at some before and afters. Look for the belly button. Sometimes look for the scar, even though I really do believe the scar is not important because we keep it very low and nobody ever sees it. But look at the contour and see if that's something you're looking for. And more than ever, for breast and body, look at some pictures that look like you, exactly what you have, and see how the outcomes are. Mm -hmm. Um, With that said, I'm going to kind of throw something else at you and say, what can people expect for recovery? And I'm going to start with tummy tuck and we'll go to the breast because breast surgery recovery is a piece of cake and people rarely even take narcotics. I do, I do want to touch on one more topic, which I think is extremely important and something that can be missed. And, you know, we have non-invasive options, minimally invasive options and surgical options for is cellulite. And that ultimately the definition of cellulite, these are fibrous attachments to the skin and it's interlaced with fat. And so obviously imagine it's like a pincushion effect 
But once the pin cushion is stuffed full of uh, cotton, uh, you can see the little holes or indentions in that area. And that's essentially what happens to the body. And so the king, the king of analogies. <laughs> Nobody's better. Sorry to interrupt you, but really the king of analogies. You know, the idea would be there's technology geared at destroying those fibrous bands. And, you know, the whole goal is really eliminate the excess volume. Because not everybody, and, and not everybody has that. Some people just have cellulite just because the skin has lost its elasticity and you still have those fibrous bands. Um, so it's really loss of fat if you have it, the destruction of those fibrous bands, um, and something to improve the quality of the skin. And so for us, at the end, you know, this is where we'll kind of talk about some of the things that are uh, that kind of set us apart. And we're a little more, you know, obviously uh, there are plenty of, of great plastic surgeons and uh, the idea is we want to follow in their footsteps and show that we are really paying attention to these types of details. Um, but how do you, outside of liposuction, what, what are you, what's your thought process on uh, trying to improve the appearance of cellulite? So it's the million dollar question, billion dollar question. Cellulite treatments have notoriously failed over the years. And there's every year there is another um, holy grail that's going to fix it. Here, you got to use this. And it'll, there's, there's this new one called Quo that's the collagenase that basically you inject something and it's supposed to break up the fibrous bands. Um, I find it to be a big challenge. I think surgically, if you break it up in fat transfer, it helps. Um, we have something called Body FX, which is a radiofrequency type treatment that really helps Every single time I've used it on someone, they've been very happy. And my gauge on how well we've done with anything is how happy the patient is. So I believe in body effects. I think it works really nicely for cellulite and it's a good adjunct for some of these procedures we do for people. Sure. And so for those of you who are listening who just want non-invasive procedures, the goal from top to bottom, including breasts, stretch marks, everything else, would be some type of microneedling with radiofrequency. We happen to use the Morpheus. Um, that alone can help improve the quality of the skin, get some skin tightening. The second thing is for fat reduction. You can use a combination of cool sculpting and M-sculpt, which obviously will help increase the physique. Now M-Sculpt is also approved for inner and outer thighs, buttocks. Um, you know, we also have it for the arms, all kinds of things. Um, and then lastly, the body FX, which is a non-invasive radiofrequency type in, uh, machine that reduces cellulite. So it reduces a little bit of that fat volume, uses radiofrequency to heat up the skin and tighten it. And so it improves the quality of the skin. From a surgical standpoint, the full gamut would be that we are doing, let's say, a, a, an augmentation mastopexy with you're using an implant with a lift plus radiofrequency to improve the quality of the skin. So that's where we use Morpheus. And then for the abdomen, you'd likely do an abdominoplasty with full 360 degree body liposuction. And sometimes we even fat transfer it into the butt just to give that little firmness. And so the you've got both ends of the spectrum from fully non-invasive to fully invasive. And it's interesting because, you know, you guys probably want to know how often we do this stuff. And if I turn over and just take a look at our schedule, I think tomorrow and Friday, I think we have two mommy makeovers Thursday, two mommy makeovers Friday. And those are the cases that we do together. Mm -hmm. um, because imagine me doing it by myself, it would take me, let's say, I'm just going to throw a number out, seven hours. We do it together. It takes five hours. It's a huge difference for a patient, their recovery, anesthetic time, just an overall better way to go about tackling a very large procedure. Let alone the fact that once, if I was doing it by myself, you get tired. There's oh, no doubt. Any plastic especially surgeon, two of them. Yeah, <laughs> any plastic surgeon tells you otherwise is lying because the idea is uh, at the end of the games, sometimes when you're by yourself, you cut your losses. When you got someone else watching your work and making sure that you're doing the best you possibly can and you're constantly checking each other's work. Um, and it's interesting because we do that continuously where, you know, we'll feel the thickness of the skin and we'll look at after we've performed liposuction and say, oh, you missed a spot over there. And so, whereas normally by yourself, uh, honestly, you'd probably walk away and say, oh, don't worry, it'll settle out. And so I, I think that's a huge benefit in our practice. And it really makes us leave our egos 
at the door. Mm -hmm. Because again, we want to give the person that's on the table the best result. Now, interestingly enough, people ask me all the time, so what does it mean? Um, You do one breast, he does the other? No, it's not like that. When it comes to the breasts, I'll normally get them ready to go. But when when it comes to closing the incisions and doing everything else, we do them together. And we make sure they're exactly the same. So it and doesn't you, mean uh, there's two people. It's like You know, the funny part is that you have to imagine, even in residency, the attending would do the right breast, the resident would do the left breast. And the whole idea is two breasts are completely separate. The idea is we're making sisters, not twins. Now, the goal for us in practice is to make them perfectly identical. But sometimes it's not possible. The idea is to get it to close enough where no one else can tell. And for us, even if... One does one breast, one does the other. We're continually switching sides and tailoring and doing whatever we need to to kind of make sure that we are as symmetric as possible. And people ask also all the time, number one, what's my downtime? How painful is this going to be? Do I need help? What's going to happen to my kids? So kind of take you through, and I'll start with with the breasts and I'll throw the belly at you just kind of to go from there. 90% of the breast procedures that we do, 95% of the breast procedures that we do, People really don't have pain. Tylenol does the trick. They're very comfortable with Tylenol postoperatively. They don't take narcotics. Um, again, if you're doing a, a tasteful type of breast augmentation where the implant's not too big, there's not too much pressure for the patient, um, it's relatively simple. Breast reduction surgery or breast lift alone without an implant, those are a piece of cake in the sense that patients have very little pain. Now, the downs, the downtime is no heavy lifting, no exercise, and no swimming for six weeks. And that's a hard and fast rule that we Mm -hmm. keep for all of our surgical procedures, except for liposuction alone. Liposuction alone, they can get back to to activities as early as they want. However, breast lift, breast reduction, because we have so many incisions and we want to have everything heal perfectly, we really keep you you know, restricted from all activities for six weeks. We'll treat the scars for you. We see you on a regular basis to make sure everything is healing well. And at six weeks, then you can do it all. And that's based in research. I mean, the idea is it takes six to eight weeks for that incision to become technically as strong as it's ever going to be. And so the idea is we want that to, we want to give it the, it's a maximal opportunity to heal before you start doing anything that can destroy it. Absolutely. And then when it comes to the, to the abdomen and then the abdominoplasty procedure, which is also called a tummy tuck, has been for years and years, very, it's one of these very feared procedures because people look at it like, oh my God, look what I'm having done. And if you look at social media, a lot of people post these videos of the diastasis repair. And for someone who's not a doctor, it's a little gruesome. And people feel like, oh my God, you're going to open me up and just tie me up. So what do we do to make people not need narcotics, make people very comfortable, have them walk and straighten as fast as possible? And why is it that we have patients that are, that are fine and others don't? Well, listen, I mean, there, it, it all depends on a person's uh, level of pain tolerance because um, we do have some patients that will require pain medicine just because that they've always done that. You know, they skin their knee and they need to be in bed for a day and, and, and not to be facetious, but, you know, everyone is different. I would say tissue handling is the most important thing in plastic surgery. And the more gentle you are with the tissue and the more you respect every single layer, uh, you'll have faster uh, patient recovery. For us, you have to imagine, we keep talking about, tie, you know, sewing up this rectus diastasis like an internal corset. If I take a big needle, and I include not only the connective tissue, but a bunch of the muscle as well, you're going to be in pain. And that's going to be for a long period of time because uh, these are permanent stitches that go into that area. So for us, if I can just take that top layer of connective tissue called fascia and bring that together, most patients are pretty comfortable. The second thing that we do is we inject something called Expirel. Now, this is a long-acting marcaine, which is a long-acting anesthetic that lasts for 72 hours. That's three days where you feel pretty comfortable and numb. Now, the majority of the pain is within the first two to three days. So by the time someone does start feeling a little ache, it's easier for them to just take some Tylenol and go from there. The other thing we do, we start, uh, we're, we're starting to rely less on narcotics and more on the Tylenols and Neurontin, which is a neuropathic pain medicine, things like that, little cocktails that trick the body into thinking that it's not in pain. Whereas 
a ton of narcotics end up making you constipated. Some people just feel nauseous and lousy. And so we're slowly kind of uh, veering away from those, uh, uh, those particular medicines. It doesn't mean that you will not have them. Uh, it just means that we stress the importance of not using them if it's not necessary. And so I think the, the combination of those two things um, really helps. The second thing is, or the third thing is that most people dislike drains, these, you know, little plastic or rubber tubes that come out of the body and, and they get snagged on things and they're uncomfortable. So we tend not to use drains unless we truly have to. Someone that, you know, who's uh, morbidly obese, we're doing a ton of liposuction, you know, there there are certain indications for it. But at the same time, if we can uh, eliminate the use of drains, I think patients are so much more comfortable. And I think, you know, nowadays, 80, 85% of our tummy tucks are all drainless. Mm-hmm. Um, and patients are really comfortable. Now, um, yes, do we put some stuff for you to do at home too? We do. Um, we wrap you up like a mummy. We keep you in a compression garment because we really want that swelling to come down as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. We'll have you do some post-liposuction massages to get which is also called a lymphatic massage to really get your swelling to come down. There are a couple things we do after surgery. Now, all of these things tend to set us apart because we really want to have, it's not just one approach. We want to have a bunch of different things so your surgery is better than it can possibly be. So if we can do all of these different things for you, Mm -hmm. and then on top of it, you know, we'll continually evaluate you. So first week you'll come in, we'll, we'll take a look. And then at six weeks, we'll let you exercise and start you with M-Sculpt. And then anywhere between nine and 12 months after, we'll reevaluate your scars. If your scars don't look good, let's say they have extra pigment, which is color, or they're raised, or they're widened. We have multiple different types of treatments for it from using a laser to take out pigment to using microneedling to flatten a scar or injecting the scar or even revising the scar. So, you know, we really take pride in every procedure that we do and we will do everything in our power to give you the best result possible. So, so John, uh, interestingly, you know, not everybody can come see us in Beverly Hills. And if you were going to give some advice to um, prospective candidates, a mommy that wants to have something done and can't come to Beverly Hills, and she's in Michigan. Um, what would you ask her to look for and to ask plastic surgeons when she's interviewed them? Because the one thing we both tell everyone is go see a couple of plastic surgeons. Mm-hmm. You have to vibe with someone. You have to feel comfortable because if you don't like something or if you have a concern, you want to be able to talk to them and say, hey, listen, I don't like the way this looks. Can we do something about it? And you want to have a really nice rapport with that person that's going to operate on you. So what would you tell people, especially for the mommy makeover when it comes to tummy tucks or breast lifts or breast dogs, what should they look for or what should they ask? Yeah, I think one of the most important things, first of all, just right off the bat is to make sure that they're board certified because it just makes sure that they have the knowledge behind the procedure that they're about to perform. Um, it's not to say that there aren't other good surgeons out there. I just think that um, that's a great way to at least weed out the top, I mean, you know, the, the, the bottom row. Um, then the next thing I would do is, again, you have to look at the rapport with the surgeon. That's why we always say, hey, listen, I always recommend you meeting with multiple surgeons because A, you want to vibe with your surgeon or mesh with your surgeon because we're going to be friends for a long time. So if you get a bad uh, rapport with the physician right off the bat, remember, anything goes wrong, it's going to be even worse. The second thing that I would do is say... You know, I I always expect someone, I, I try to think of it as if my wife went to go see a plastic surgeon, I would expect them to know enough that they could give you multiple options. And which one's the best one? They can guide you in that direction based off of your anatomy and everything else. Um, but you, it shouldn't be that you walk in the door and they say, oh, this is what you need, this, this, this. They should give you some options. The last thing I would say is you, before and afters are so important because um, the other reason why we say meet multiple surgeons is because you have to make sure our aesthetic matches yours. If someone comes in and they want overdone breasts or they want a really tiny waist with big hips and you know a lot of fat transfer, that's not our practice. I mean, it's just not, it's not our thing. It doesn't mean that it doesn't look good on someone. It's just not what we perform. So for us, we like the natural aesthetic I'd rather keep people guessing whether or not they do have implants or they don't. 
um, you know, or how old are they really? That's that's the ultimate goal. If someone comes to me and says, wow, uh, you know, I met someone uh, for the first time and they had no idea that I'd had these procedures done. That is the biggest compliment to a plastic surgeon that you can be, especially sitting on a boat after a while. You know what I mean? The idea is, um, you know, sometimes incisions and scars are required to get a certain contour. But the very fact that we can hide those, um, you know, I think speaks volume. So I think I would start with those uh, and, and you can add yeah, to it as well. I, I think what you said is right. I mean, the, the couple of, of things that we talk to, and, and if, you know, I have, I have a, my sister's friend calls me from New York and says, hey, I'm getting a tummy tuck. What, who do you think I should go see? And I will say, go see one, two, and three. But these are the things you need to look for yourself. So for a tummy tuck, look at the contour of the belly. See if there's hills and valleys. See if, it's, if, if there's a nice hourglass shape, that there's not contour regularities. Make sure the belly button doesn't look like it's stuck on. Make sure that the scar around the belly button is healed nicely. Now, does it happen for everyone? No, but the majority of, of the patients that they're showing you their before and afters, and most plastic surgeons will show you their best work, okay? No one's gonna throw up their, their worst work. So if their best work looks good, well, that's something to go by, okay? And these are the things you need to look at. Breast surgery, exactly what John just said. Make sure it's your aesthetic. That's the key. People come to me because I put in small implants. I got a Yelp review years ago from a lady that came in, had a, had a consultation with me, booked surgery, called and canceled because I wouldn't go big enough. Wrote a Yelp review saying that I was amazing, but I wouldn't go big enough. And she felt that that was something that was very commendable. I love that review. I think it's wonderful because you're staying true to your own game. You're not here to treat what, again, you are shopping here. So you're coming in. It's like we're at Chanel and they're coming to buy a bag. So they're going to buy what they want, but to a degree, because we can guide people into what is more natural, what fits their body, and what, again, looks appropriate on them. A lot of other plastic surgeons just do whatever you want. So these are the things that I would look at. Look at the areola. Make sure they're the same. Make sure that the width of the areola, that the diameter of it is not huge and it's smaller. The scarring of the breast looks good. These are just simple things. The shape of the breast looks nice. People come in and they say, oh, I love the shape. No, just look and continually look at these and compare. And make sure you have good rapport with your plastic surgeon because just like John said, if you want to go back and tell them, hey, listen, I don't like this one area, you don't want them to say, get out. It's important, you know? I think those are the things that you should be cognizant about um, because, again, there are a lot of us out there. Most of us are really rel relatively good, um, but find the one that kind of feels the best for you. Hello, beautiful people. To celebrate the launch of Forever Young, we'd like to offer our listeners a special discount on our premium line of skincare products at beverlyhillsmd.com. Go to beverlyhillsmd.com and use the promo code foreveryoung20 to get 20% off your first order. That's beverlyhillsmd.com, promo code foreveryoung20. Please share, rate, and review on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be right back after this break. So, you know, now that we've kind of laid out who's a candidate, what a mommy makeover entails, what are the different options, we have to look at some of the pitfalls. You know, what what should you expect? And so the idea is if any of these things happen, you want to make sure your plastic surgeon knows about them. Um, you know, listen, we're not going to go through the entire litany of potential problems because, you know, for for our consents to list out some of the things that occur 0.01% of the time, I think sometimes it just ends up scaring a patient. So maybe we just focus on some of the most common things. And I think you touched on one already, which is scarring. And so for us, listen, it's not that we're downplaying a scar, but we know that we have options to always improve the quality of a scar. It's very rare that someone just has a genetic predisposition that does not like incisions and their body just heals accordingly. And even then, we can make it look better. Um, you know, one thing we didn't touch on was the fact that we use the Embrace Scar Therapy, which is the only uh, post 
procedure scar regimen that actually has level 1A data. I mean, this is something that um, shows that however you heal, this will make you heal better. It's a pre-stretched silicone sheet that goes onto the wounds uh, once every 10 days for 60 days. And uh, I think that's another great adjunct. But if, if we had to go back to besides scarring, what's a very common potential pitfall or complication from, you know, know, mommy makeover. The most common complication of, of, of a tummy tuck is having a little fluid left over and which is called a seroma. Um, simple thing. If you talk to enough plastic surgeons, they've seen enough seromas, uh, for their lifetime. And all it is, is there's a, what we do is lift up a very large flap. We, we take a bunch of extra skin and your body always wants to fill a potential space that's created with fluid. Kind of like when you skin your knee and that little yellowish fluid comes out. It's the same thing. Very similar. And most of the time, your body will absorb up to 30 cc's of this. But if there's a little bit more after surgery, we can just simply put a small needle in, draw it out in the office, and take it away. Now, is that a big complication? Yes, kind. it's not a big complication, but it's a little bit of an extra procedure that needs to be done. It happens more you know, a little more frequently sometimes than people would want to see, but it happens across the board and it doesn't affect your final outcome. Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, you know, there can be a little more fat taken out of one area than the other, which you can always do a little touch up for. Um, But most of the time, you know, you can always have bleeding or infection. And I will say in our practice, infection is very, very rare. Mm -hmm. We do treat people in surgery with antibiotics and after surgery with antibiotics. Um, But generally speaking with mommy makeovers, the scarring is the big concern of people. We do everything in our power to make it better. We also use the advanced scar therapy gel made by Beverly Hills MD for all of our patients. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a silicone-based scar cream that works very well. Um, And it's something we have people put on once in the morning, once at night. And it really helps with the appearance of the scar over time. Mm -hmm. And as far as breasts, I think, you know, there are obvious inherent uh, complications from placing a foreign body like an implant. You know, we've heard of capsular contracture, which is scarring around the implant. Um, And uh, as far as fat transfer to the breast, sometimes you lose the fat. I mean, we overinflate because we know that the body isn't going to incorporate all of it. But these are all, you know, as far as potential pitfalls, um, I think these are, you know, again, these are relatively safe procedures where people are comfortable or should be comfortable. And so it's uh, definitely not something that you should be afraid of. And if you ask me, this is by far my favorite procedure because you're dealing with mommies, so they're not coming in because they think that their nose needs to be uh, two more millimeters up or, the, you know, it's, it's these people really want to just get back to what they look like before. And, and for all the mommies out there, I understand how, what you're thinking. I understand your pain and, and your frustration. And that's why we do what we do. And in one of the niche parts of our practice is mommy makeovers because we can get you in and out. You don't have to have multiple procedures. You don't have to go see multiple different doctors. And it's something we're so comfortable doing that, like I said, we're doing two on Thursday, two on Friday. Um, And it really allows people to gain their confidence back after having pregnancies. Um, It's one of the biggest complaints we see as plastic surgeons. And I love it because again, it's in my opinion, it's kind of like a reconstructive procedure because you're putting everything back to where it was before Mm -hmm. pregnancy. Restoring, yeah. I mean, kids. Listen, they they suck the life out of you in more ways than one. And so, uh, the idea is for us to be able to rebuild and 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 let you start afresh. I think it's a yeah. It's and again, a, it, it a doesn't. Thing. For some people, they don't need to have both breast and body. For some people, they may just have a problem with their belly, or they might may just have a problem with their breast. These procedures can be exclusively done by themselves. Um, but the whole mommy makeover normally talks about doing something for the breast and the body, maybe a little bit of lipo contouring. Um, you know, if there's any other questions, obviously you know how to send your questions to us. We'll be happy to answer them for you. Um, but I do think that if it's something that you are really interested in, a mommy makeover will give you that pre-pregnancy body back. I think, you know, to, to, final close out a little bit here is how we're different. And I think we've, we've kind of touched on that throughout the entire process. And I think it's really important. We've got two board certified plastic surgeons, each one checking each other's work. As far as, um, you know, using slightly smaller implants to maintain longevity in the results. As far as just uh, with delicate tissue handling and 
um, drainless abdominoplasties using some of the uh, microneedling with radiofrequency, the Morpheus, to improve the quality of the skin, making sure that normal an- anatomy looks normal, such as the belly button. Um, and we talked about, uh, you know, one thing we kind of skipped over was how to repair that little Audi, and that's really repairing the, uh, the, that hernia. This, the last thing also, you know, adding volume to the buttocks because you develop a little ptosis or it deflates. Uh, and also using some of these other technologies, the body effects, any type of radio frequency, and M-Sculpt, that high fem technology that will build the muscle underneath. So it's great that we create this outer contour, but now we're going to give, uh, you know, that muscle building technology that will give you the shadowing where you need it uh, and uh, Im- improve the quality of the skin. Yeah, and I'm going to touch on one last thing because we kind of skipped over it, and a lot of people don't do this, is we perform something called a lipoabdominoplasty on the people that need it. Now, some people that don't have extra fat in the upper part of their abdomen don't need anything. But the ones that do, for years and years and years, we were taught that it's not safe to do liposuction with that. Now we've learned that if you do it in a specific manner, this is the best way to get the most beautiful result. So we really like to thin that upper flap so when we do the tummy tuck, everything is nice and smooth. Again, with what what I talked about earlier, those hills and valleys. So there's good contour to your belly and it's not just a straight belly. One thing that we really didn't touch on is the uh, emotional benefit of undergoing this type of procedure. Um, you know, you have to imagine, I can, I can only imagine as, as a male, um, but, uh, you know, as a female, you are essentially, uh, your body is changing against your will uh, over the course of nine months. You have multiple restrictions. You can't necessarily be as active as you want, uh, you know, and then tack on another anywhere from you know, six weeks to, uh, you know, a year or more of breastfeeding and you're watching your body further change. And, uh, and you not, know, not, not, not talking about the emotional. Of course. I mean, with the surge of, uh, of hormones, the, the idea is that you, you know, your body is spinning. It's taking care of the, uh, you know, quote unquote, the more important individual right there. Um, and uh, now you have a chance to get your body back. And in a previous episode of this, I always talked about getting a second chance or your second chance. So after pregnancies, it's almost like uh, you get a second chance. Every single pregnant female comes back or post-pregnant uh, female comes back and says, I just want to look like the way I did before pregnancy. They'll bring their pictures in. They'll mm-hmm. be like, look what my breasts look like before I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And, and their body, you know, I used to weigh this. I yeah. used to fit into this. I and so it's our job uh, to really, you know, cater to that. And I, I, we see such a dramatic transformation on those individuals. They come back and say, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this is what my body looked like before pregnancy. It's interesting because so after pregnancy, they've been covering themselves. They cover themselves up. They don't want to be seen. They don't want to put on a bathing suit. They don't want to go on vacation. They don't want to do anything. After they have this procedure, and I have proof of it because they send us the pictures, I'll get pictures of these mommies with their kids in bikinis saying, I never thought I would be in a bikini again. And this is something we always tell people, can't wait for you to be in a bikini again. They laugh at us. And this also, again, it's not a mommy makeover. We do a lot of post-bariatric, which is massive weight loss surgery. People that have never, ever even thought about looking themselves in the mirror or being in a bathing suit, and they come back, they're like, I'm in a bikini. And- To me, that is why we do this. I mean, we do this because we make people feel so good. And that's the key. You know, I think of uh, one particular individual. She was probably, you know, mid to late 30s, tiny little thing, had a little bit of excess fat in certain areas, but had the largest diastasis that we had seen. (laughs) You know, you've seen that movie Alien where when they're laying down, it completely bulges out. It looks Mm -hmm. like something's coming out. And so she had gone to multiple other physicians who said, oh my gosh, we're going to have to put mesh in there and reconstruct and do all these things. Um, And we ended up performing a mommy makeover on her. And uh, she is the happiest individual now to just centralize her core, just to strengthen her core. Because you have to imagine... As the muscles are separated, now it's easier to do a side sit-up than it is to do a forward sit-up. And so 
just to be able to do a sit-up now, she was in tears. You remember so, she said that everyone thought she was still pregnant after yes, she was pregnant? Yes. They would come in and be like, I still look pregnant. I had my baby a year, <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> and it's because that bulge. And it's interesting because people come in, they'll be like, oh, come on. Somebody told me I could fix this doing whatever. And it's impossible. And that's the beauty of, of what we do is you're just restoring normal anatomy. Mm-hmm. You're just putting things back that got changed from being pregnant. I mean, it's interesting. I have so many pictures that get sent to us and in our, on our Instagram, some of them are reposted. I mean, these people, in a million years, you didn't think they'd be in a bikini. They even said it. They're like, I am never going on a vacation that involves water. It's yeah. just not going to happen. And, and that's the beauty of it. You are completely transforming a life. This is not about lip plumping. This is about changing someone's life to back to what it was before they had life changing, amazing events, which are children. But this really changed. We were talking about it the other day. My favorite, our favorite thing is watching someone who you would never think would come in with makeup oh, all yeah. dolled up, uh, you know, with a new air of confidence from when you first saw them to now is a complete transformation. And, and it's such a good feeling when that happens. And we could tell um, stories on stories and stories. I mean, there was a, there was a girl that we did that, that we did a, a tummy tuck and, and, and mommy makeover on. After we did surgery on her, she proceeded to lose another 20 pounds, got so toned that when she came in, I was like, wow, we did a great job. <laughs> wow. And, she, and I didn't- Quick I didn't pat know, on the back. And was, I was like, John, come in. You got to see this girl. And she's like, you know, I lost 25 pounds after surgery. I go, wow. Because you would think, okay, they paid for the surgery. It's the easy way out. You're done. No, it's not. It this, just gets for started. Her, it, was it was a kickstart. That just, Absolutely. You, know, you know, we've had them before in the past. Remember it's someone who had, you know, massive weight gain, underwent a bypass and then underwent these types of procedures, mommy makeover procedures and became a bodybuilder. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the, just these stories that stick with you that make it all worth it. And it just puts a smile on your face because it's, again, is it easy to go under, undergo these procedures? No. Is it cost money? Sure. But at the end of the day, it, it rega- you regain so much confidence. You feel so much better about yourself that ultimately it affects your children and your spouse in a very positive way as well. Because if you feel better about yourself, well, everyone else is going to feel better too. But if you don't feel better and you're frustrated and you feel like, oh man, I had one kid, two, whatever, three kids, and it's completely ruined my life and I can't do this and I can't do that. Well, you're going to always think about that. So this procedure is really, it's, it's beneficial in so many ways. I mean, mentally, psychologically, physically. Um, and, and, and again, as a wellness, overall wellness, this just restores everything back to where it was. All right, thanks for spending your time with us here. Please follow Forever Young. And if you want to follow us on our Instagram page, it's at Plastic Stocks with an X. Uh, our next episode is going to be on Botox. The, the history, what it's used for, the myths, and how do we fix a botched job? Everyone's getting Botox these days. Tune in next Tuesday and we'll tell you all about it. From iHeartRadio, Forever Young is a Cavalry Audio Golden Hippo production. We are produced by Brandon Morgan. Josh Windish does our editing and mixing. Payment and I serve as executive producers along with Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.